All right, hello everybody, and welcome to I don't even know what episode we're up to the the um, the Drexel podcast. I'm Nate, and I'm I'm told it's episode eight, um, but I'm in rhymes with Nate. Uh, we have Dan with me, and here's Eric. Um, so, and the uh, fact that we're up to episode eight, uh, I guess that's a good sign. We're having a good time, and none of us have died, and we made it through the big COVID wave. Um, we'll see what happens with that, but um, and because of that too, again, we have lots of basketball games to talk about. So. Um, we're just going to hop right into it. So um, we're both talking. I mean, we're all both getting, we're all getting up in age, but, um, you know, thankfully our memories are good enough that we can remember a week ago uh, when Drexel played James Madison and we're going to knock them out kind of one at a time, go through each game um, and then just kind of share our thoughts on what happened. Um, so we'll get to it. Uh, so this was last Monday night. So uh, Drexel hosted James Madison and uh, you know, Really, we were terrible in the first half, honestly. Um, so, and right before halftime, James Madison led this game 28-16. So, um, I mean, he had 16 points in the first half. We shot 25% and then 12% from three-point range. And then, uh, you know, James Madison ran a run, uh, ran a zone, which has been giving us some trouble in the last couple of games. And you know, Delaware gave us some trouble with it. Uh, it was nice to see us adjust into the second half. You know, we seem like we figured out putting a uh, one of our big men at the top of the key, and, and it seemed like it make a difference. And did a much better job distributing. You know, getting the ball out to the perimeter for three point shots. Um, you know, Cam ended up having twenty two of his twenty seven points in the second half. Um, you know, even um, Mari Williams had a big second half. You know, nine second half points and thirteen rebounds in only twenty three minutes. So, um, you know, we 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 just we it was nice to see us adjust well. Uh, and then I was shooting 67% in the first, in the second half and 60% from three point range. So um, I felt like it was nice to see us make an adjustment. And it, I was thinking about this. We don't have many games this year where we come from behind or came from behind. I'd have to go back and look. We tend to lead and then give it away or lead and hang on to it. Uh, but this is a game where we were behind and then um, we started the second half with a, um, 13-0 run, I think, right out of the shoot and got up by 12. So it was nice to see us kind of, you know, win in a different way. So um, what did you guys see last Monday night? Any thoughts that you had about that game? Yeah, I mean, for me, it was just real quick. It was JMU was playing four games in, or in, in eight days, similar to, to Drexel when they played Charleston. It was the third straight road game. They're coming off of an OT game with Hofstra two days before. It was really cards were stacked up against them. You add to that the fact all the injuries they've taken and, and the fact they're a pretty young team. That's a little bit, I think, overdone as an argument. Their minutes continuity, which is a stat that speaks towards the minutes last year, uh, number of people who were playing last year versus the number of people who were playing this year, number of minutes for people, the same people year over year, uh, is right in line with Drexel's actually. So they, they have the same kind of number of returning players as, they, as the Dragons have, which I think is a pretty high level. So all know that's the point. The point is, Bad spot for JMU, and uh, I think Drexel took advantage of some tired legs, especially once JMU got up to the lead. I think they started JMU slowed down once they got up with that, once they got up big, and they were never able to get their legs back again. I think it's as simple as that. Yeah, so JMU did a pretty good job. You know, not known for the pressuring, but they, they did a pretty good job in the first half. You know, but like you said, they played four games eight days. You know, you can't press forty minutes. Second half, they tried to press, but Drexel was able to break it. And uh, they wore them down. You just second half. You, when you see a tired team, usually the second half is where you fall behind. Uh, it also was very interesting in that game. We saw you see Cameron Whit 
Cameron Winter going all season, or at least since Princeton, missing a free throw. Misses two free throws in that game. Mm-hmm. So that was a little, bit, a little bit interesting. In the second half, Drexel had 56 points to versus 16 in the first half. I don't think I've ever seen a team score 40 more points in one half than the other. A little crazy. Yeah, that's right. You know, I, I think I, mean, I think it was like a two-three zone that JMU ran, and then you know, again, we we put. I think at first it was Butler at the top of the key, and because the whole the first half we just passed around the perimeter like we didn't know what we were doing, and then the second half, you know, we got it into the middle of the zone and kicked out a couple times for threes, and then even again Amari was able to to get down low, so we we did a much better job. I thought at the very end they they pressed, and you know we we did what we could to choke the lead away. They made some, like they were made, I think they finished, like they hit the last like five threes or something. I don't know. I don't have that in front of me, but they made it interesting at the end, but no, it was nice to see us make an adjustment at halftime and really kind of take advantage. So it was, yeah, it's crazy. The difference in the offensive numbers between the two halves. So, um, but yeah, any other, and, you know, um, Coltrane, Washington, you know, I know Dan. You've been really singing his praises, and he actually didn't have his best game. But um, yeah, I, I just have a note. He was. I look at plus minus. He was plus fourteen in the game, so maybe a reflection of his defense, which you know we've been saying has kind of come along. So um, again, just a lot of good things, at least in the second half, to talk about there. So yeah, Coulter had zero points in the game. That's kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I have a sermon to go on plus minus and use of that in, <clears throat> in games because I just hate the stat. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, um, long and short is if you if you put me with LeBron and a couple other guys, my plus minus is going to look a lot better than if you put me with the two of you. You know, it's just it's a small sample, sample, sample in games. Uh, there was a study done in the NBA. I want to say it was five to ten years ago. It basically said that plus minus is something that stabilizes over about thirty games in the NBA season. So those are their forty-eight minute games. Basically, in college, by the time it's a usable statistic, the season's over. Um, a lot of people like to use it. They, I'm not picking on you. I, I see it all the time. It's just one of those things that eats at me because I, I think it's I think it's chronically chronically misused. Um, to your point, the team was better with Coltrane out there in this game. There's yeah, probably yeah, lots yeah, of reasons why. And that's why. Yeah, I know. So there's games I, I look and I'm like, because that's the first year I'm really kind of looking at it, and because I, I use stats broadcast to look up and it, you know, I'll see a guy be like, I thought he had a great game, and he's like minus ten. I'm like, oops. So yeah, it doesn't always fit, but the the point being, again, I, I and we'll talk about him, especially related to last night. Um, I, you know, again, I, I agree with you. He's really made a lot of progress this year. I feel like. Yeah, I'm excited to see. And the one thing I'm seeing, and again, I, it's one of those things I shouldn't be using this stat, but it feels like we're seeing a break between um, JB and Amari on plus minus routinely, and that's something I haven't had a chance to dig into yet. But it, it becomes a trend. You start getting concerned. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, we're not there yet. Yeah. So. All right. Anything else to add about that uh, that win? I think that put us at uh, ten and ten. Should be a theme, saying five hundred. But um, anything else you guys saw Monday night you wanted to touch on? I thought the theme for these games was crappy officiating in almost all of them, and uh, that that crowd, that game had uh, Nathan Farrell and Michael Lucky. So wasn't wasn't shocked that they kicked this off with a streak of miserable officiating, but. Um, Glad to see those guys return to the back again. I guess after seeing that women's game, I forget who they played now, where they called everything a travel. Actually, I think that was a Delaware game, so that was a huge game, uh, I, I think. I guess anything I've seen since then doesn't really match up to that. But 
Um, but either way, I think the outcome, I, I, I judge it too, but I did it affect the outcome. And I think really the way we adjusted, I think was really the, the big story for me anyway. So I agree with you. And I don't think any of these games were affected by the, by the officiating. I just think it's been lousy. Yeah. So. All right. So then, so that was Monday. So then Thursday, uh, we hosted Hofstra 80 and we lost 83 to 73. I think. This was a game I was pretty excited about. You know, I felt like, again, you, you team that you're just waiting for that sign of, okay, which way are we going to break? And you're crossing your fingers that we're going to break in the right direction. Um, and at halftime, I mean, it, it was tied at 36. I mean, I, personally, I, I felt, um, you know, the whole game, though, that that they, they were kind of in control and we were just kind of hanging on. Um, but uh, so – Coming out of the second half is kind of what we ended up seeing then with Hofstra. So they, they outscored us eleven to four in the first five minutes. Eleven to four in the first five minutes, um, and then around the eleven minute mark, they got up by double digits, and just we we really could never really mount much of a run. Um, Aaron Estrada really essentially did the same thing that he did up in Hempstead: uh, thirty two points, fourteen of twenty one shooting. Um, you could almost run that play where you got that little screen and, and kind of on the wing there, right inside the three-point line, got whatever jump shot he wanted and just burned us with that. Um, he was 8 of 12 for the second half. And then Ray chipped in. He was 6 of 7 with 20 points. So those guys just flat out didn't miss. Um, and you almost got the sense. I know there's some people who felt like we didn't have the best effort in that game. I could go either way on that. But we almost you could almost sense we knew they were just going to come down and, and hit a jump shot. And no matter what we were going to do, um, you know, there really wasn't much we were going to do. Um, but, um, but you know, a couple of bright spots. I mean, you know, Malik uh, and the, or, or, uh, yeah, Malik Martin had 14 points. Amari had um, uh, 14 point, or 19 points for the game, 14 in the second half. Another you know, theme I see is guys will have one great half. It's like you can't get two great halves. And you don't really know what's going to come. Let alone one game, you know, one game to the next, even one half to the next. Um, but the second half, we were one of eight shooting. Uh, free throw shooting has been a little bit of a problem in here lately. We're 10 of 16 from the free throw line. Um, but the bottom line here, I have some stats. You look at the, the book, and it's like we only turn the ball over six times. Um, Hofstra actually turned it over more, 15 times. Uh, we had a 19 to 10 advantage in fast break points, 42 to 22 advantage in points in the paint. And still, really, we're never in the game because they just kept knocking down their jump shots. Um, so, what did you guys think about about how that game turned out? Any thoughts? And Eric, we'll start with you. You're ready. Yeah, to go. I'm having a hard time believing Estrada missed seven shots in that game. You know, every time I looked <laughs> up, the guy was hitting. He's hitting these three pointers. Mm-hmm. It was unbelievable. He's a really good player. Uh, I thought it was a Mar. One of Amari had a good all around game. He got the 19 points, like you said, and uh, he was pretty good at underneath. You know, Hofstra doesn't really take it inside. Unfortunately, he's not as effective against a team that likes to shoot because, you know, you you know, you can always shoot over a guy from 20 feet away. And the rebounds, that when they do miss, tend to be longer off three-pointers. So, you know, he didn't hit as many rebounds as he could have just because of, uh, well, there weren't as many rebounds available because they weren't missing. Uh, but also the long rebounds that come out of uh, missing the shots. Uh, Butler, I thought, unfortunately, he was only one for seven. He just wasn't finishing around the rim. Um, you just as you see injuries plaguing him, it has to be what it is. I don't, I think a guy, you know, a five year guy is not going to have confidence issues. Uh, but yeah, unfortunately, I just, I just think his back's really, really taking a toll on him. 
But this is the kind of game we could have really racked up some points if uh, he was fully healthy. Dan, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think you guys covered pretty well. I mean, Nate, I, I saw all those stats that you saw and kind of when you beat somebody to paint like that and, and beat them in transition too, and you know, and, and, and still never, you're right, we never really felt like there was any kind of confidence, right? I mean, um, you got to credit Hofstra. There's nobody beating Hofstra when, when, when they play that well. It just, I thought on the stat sheet, they probably did what the coaches circled and said, hey, if we do this, this, and this, and we win this game, they did those things. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and they lost the game. So sometimes you got to tip your hat. Um, that's what I'll do for Hofstra this particular time. I will say, you know, so much of this Drexel defense is predicated on closing at the three-point line and giving up the mid-range shot. And that's an area where you know, the Hofstra guards, especially Estrada, are very comfortable. I mean, Estrada's made his name all season long on the mid-range shot. So we may have to go back to the drawing board and we see them a third time and, and figure out, you know, I don't, you don't want to zone them either. But, you know, the Strata went 10 for 15 for two, but you, you, you kind of live, I suppose, with that. But four of six for three is a killer. And you don't see that one coming, but he's up to 41% three in confidence too. So he's probably going to be the player of the year. It's not like it's a, you know, terrible thing to have give a big game to him. But you got to – Jalen Wright, to me, was the one who killed us both times we played him. And, and he, he's the guy who – uh, I want to say he's a fifth-year guy, and he's been around the black, and, and we should know better. Um, and he's just executed at an elite level against us, too. So they've done a pretty good job on Cooks, really the rest of their team. Certainly beat him up in the front court. You expect to beat him up in the front court. But, you know, the Stars did what Stars do. And our guys just, you know, Cam, he was 6 of 14 from the field, 4 assists, 2 turnovers. It's very average. You know, especially not, not, not for everybody, for, but for Cam. Right, and, and the game where stars are going to take on stars, you can't have have your stars just lose the battle that badly, and then that's what happened here. Yeah, no, I I think and and that was well, well first of all too, yeah, you know, to to give Hofstra credit, I mean, then they turned around and I mean, they looked like they did the same thing down at Delaware too, just kind of took it to them. So obviously they're playing some good basketball now, but but that, and we talked about this after the first game, as as great a game as that was up there, it's like what could we have done to take in that mid range jump shot away. Now you're kind of saying, well, you give them the, the mid-range shot, but, man, when it's torching you and it's torched you twice, it's like, what can you do different? So we ran a 3-2 zone last night at Charleston, and it worked. We actually got a turnover out of it, but then, of course, we came out of it right away. But, um, yeah, that, yeah, that's my question. You know, when, when you're playing a team that's clearly better than you are and and doing something over and over again, you know, what, what can – Zach Spiker draw up to try to take it away. So I, I, I'd be curious if we see them again. You know, what do we what do we do different? Because it felt like we let them do the same. And yeah, Estrada is a great player. I mean, there's nothing you can do about it. But you know, you're gonna be oppress them, so you speed up their offense in the half court. You know, again, maybe you know, I, I put, I, I you know, I, I, I didn't play ba- you know basketball, so I'm not as good X's and O's and whatnot. But a two one two, I mean, something to put people in that spot so that he catches the ball and there's someone in his face. I don't know because. Kept trying to man-to-man defense, and he just torched it. So, so I don't know. We'll see what happens if we see him again. But, um, but yeah. Any other thoughts on that game? You know, I really, if if Drexel's not going to be the one that comes out of this out of the tournament next month, I'd really like would like to see Hofstra come out, and I think they would represent the CAA well uh, on on a national stage. For a couple, well, for one thing, I feel bad that they they got screwed by COVID. A couple of years back, uh, they, they won. They win the conference, but don't get to play. And secondly, their out of conference form was really good against good teams, beating Arkansas, 
and uh, taking Houston, who's top 10, I believe, taking them to overtime. So, you know, they, maybe Cows would be the best representatives of uh, the CAA. Yeah. No question in my mind, Eric. No question in my mind there. And I think Cows um, probably has a stronger profile right now, but I'd, I'd probably take caution with their cards. I'd, I'd probably rather see Cows go just because Pat Scary's been doing this a long time. But, um, but you know, Hofstra's guards are going to be tough in a tournament situation. Yeah, and I kind of badmouth. Is it Iola, their big man? Am I saying that right for Hofstra? But yeah, nice game. I mean, did he dominate the game? No, but, you know, 10 points, 10 rebounds. So I thought he played with a lot of enthusiasm. So, I mean, it wasn't totally worthless down there. He did enough. So, I mean, they get that plus the guard play. I agree. Good team. So And two rebounds for Mark Williams in that game. You got to do better than that in 26 minutes. This is a good time for me. To, shots. The thing I, and again, I, I think his, uh, he's, he's really going to be a good player. He still has to polish a few things. I noticed him a lot of times going for rebounds with one hand. Be strong, go with two hands, because I feel like he's missed a couple rebounds because of that. So, but, you know, thanks for This is one of those things that. that you and I both see the same thing with our eyes, and I look, <clears throat> and he's first in the conference in defensive rebound percentage. Like, well, yeah, and it's just an example of what how much better he could be. You know what I mean? Because again, he you know he he grabs he grab that basketball, and I mean that's his. So, so anyway, yeah. So, uh, so yeah. Guess what? Back to five hundred. So, um, Eric, you gonna say something? Yeah, it's Williams. I'll give him some kudos in that game on that fast break where he gets where he gets the block, and then he runs, and he got down court faster. Look like John is getting down court there. He looked fantastic on that. Break. Like, what is this? Drexel in transition? We're one of the worst transition teams every year. But uh, that one play, is, you know, he goes and finishes up with a two-hand jam. And, like, man, that, that's what I want to see. Uh, they look fantastic. But, yeah, the transition game with, with Drexel on offense is just uh, every year it's lacking. I'll say this. It's definitely improved this year, the transition game, both ends, by the way, defensively especially, actually, probably with the exception of the Charleston game last night. We'll talk about that. Mm-hmm. But I thought I think the transition play has been much, much better. Yeah. Yeah, and speaking of so um so Saturday we played uh, Northeastern, and I was I actually thought we did a nice I, I mean we won the game sixty seven to fifty one, um, we were up thirty six sixteen at halftime. We led by as many as twenty three points in the first half. I mean there was really never a point where this game was in question. I think let's say Northeastern got within like eleven or thirteen points, but really never took a serious run. Um, they were six of. I have them at six of thirty for twenty percent in the first half, zero for seven from three point range. Um, but then, yeah, fast break points. I had us up twelve nothing. I think part of again their missed shots. You, know, you think of shot turnovers, and I thought we forced some turnovers too. It's a good good time to play. All of a sudden, out of the last couple of games, Malik Martin, you know, able to force some steals and get out in transition. Um, he had um, three steals in the game, so it's a little element to his game that we're seeing all of a sudden. Um, but that helped us get some easy baskets and I think took some pressure off us too. So, um, but then, you know, Xavier Bell, who, and again, you talk about guys who were inconsistent, you know, had that dominating game in Hofstra up there, did really nothing down here, but then had a really nice game in 12 in the first half, 10 in the second half. So it was balanced um, and did a good job again, getting in the paint. I think he's one of our key transition guys too, when he's doing what he needs to do. Um, I thought Okros had, you know, he was more active and he two for three from three point range, but then a nice drive, you know, so you want to see a little bit, you know, some different things in his game. And I thought he, he did a couple of nice things for us. Um, um, but then you need throwing cam. Yeah. He didn't three for 10, but he didn't turn the ball over. So that was good. Um, so it was nice to see other guys really chip in and, 
yeah, we just, and man, Northeastern, it's a shame how bad they are. I mean, they missed layups and they didn't defend and it was a shame. So, but what do you guys think about Saturday? I, I'd be perfectly honest with you, I didn't catch a ton of it, but it was nice to see the team get out to a lead and keep it and just, just roll somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it only made me question, how the hell did those guys beat Towson? <clears throat> and, and I just pull up the box score and I'm, I'm seeing Towson with one for 15 from three that day, which is like Dan Crane or Gerald Cole's numbers. <laughs> so, you know, I'll, I'll, I guess, you know, everybody's got an off day and Northeastern took advantage. They were, they had to win at some point, but that's a, they're just bad this year. I mean, that's just it. They're just bad. They got some talent, actually. I, I like Seth Waters. Joe goes a little legit. He, he played for Notre Dame. He was good. Mm-hmm. They got some talent. Just nothing's fitting together well at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Malik Martin, to me, he's, he's been in the second half of the season. I kind of saw this coming once he fit in with, with, with his team. He's been the most consistent player second half of the season. And I just look at these four games. He played he contributed extensively on offense and defense in both games. David Bell, nice game, 22 points. I believe Drexel's had eight different guys lead the team in scoring given given games this season. <laughs> Every night, you just don't know who's going to be your leading scorer given another yeah. the next yeah. night. Yeah, I think Malik is, you know, he's kind of that emotional leader type player. So, um, yeah, it's it just beneath that little extra element of, you know, he's forcing steals and he'll run the floor. I mean, he can handle the ball and he's fast. So there's a lot of good things. Shoots the three, back him down. So, you know, again, but consistency. You want to see it game after game. So, um, so yeah, blew him out. Um, that's about it. Anything else you guys thought about I'll the game? I just want to jump on the Malik train and just say I, I'm usually a four-year guy. I like the guys who've been in the, in the school for or this, at this point five years, right, and, and the continuity of the program and everything else. But not only has, has Malik um, made me shut up about that, really – if you have a if you have a transfer that fits well, which is hard to do, but if you have a transfer that fits what you do, um, it, it really he's been a huge piece for for the team this year, and, and the coaches staff did a really really great job getting him in the door. So um, obviously a local guy from York, PA, but good to see him be able to move up a conference, be able you know to a higher level, and be effective and, and find a good fit for him. I think this is going to help him in his career if he wants to continue with basketball. Uh, I just a lot of good stuff there. Um, really been impressive to me. And I like somebody actually who hasn't been in the system for four years. I'll get to this at some point, but I do feel like we have some guys who are a little stuck in the system. Um, and he brings uh, a little bit of that dynamic, um, sometimes too dynamic, but it's been more restrained in the second half of the season. I think he's been more effective, Eric, to your point. But, you know, he, he brings a little something different, a little flair to the offense that, you know, um, he can create a little bit, which is nice. And that's the way the days are, the times are. Uh, you got over 700 guys transferring every year, most of them, you know, in their last season. That's two, that's two players per team. So you, you, you're going to – I mean, I guess uh, Terry Brown's also fourth, you know, in his last year. He came from Juco. Uh, but that's normal. And that's, that's you know, that's just a trend. Every team's got him. So if he can blend in, that's really going to be a plus. And it kind of took the – I mean, Bickerstaff, obviously the younger player, potentially the better player, sort of, sort of took the sting away from losing Bickerstaff. Yeah. 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 No, I'm not ready to consider my position outdated. And uh, people have been telling me this for years, but I'm, I'm really making it official. You, you bring in the transfers. Let's go. Yeah. College sports free agency. And you hear about with, with football, it's, and it's hard to follow. But, yeah, I mean, um, but and so, um, but, you know, I just think you're thinking, too, as you're talking about Malik is, is that kind of guy. You know, you're, you're looking, I, I guess I'm at the stage now because it's, you know, we're only, what, like two weeks left in the regular season. I mean, it's hard to believe. And you're looking for hope for the tournament at this point. 
And I, I just kind of picturing him as a guy that could, he's not going to want to lose down there. He's that type of player. So be curious if he could just kind of go off down there and carry us. Cause that's what we need to as a guy night after night. Like you said, you know, if not our leading scorer, one of our leading scorers, and he's that type of player, I feel like. Yeah, I want him to, you know, go alone in a room with Cam Winter before the first game, <laughs> right? And kind of get in his face a little bit. And That's kind of exactly what right? I was thinking, yeah, as you were saying yeah. that. So, um, but anyway, so um, win a game. So as if you're doing the math at home, it's pretty easy. You know that whatever we did the game before, we're going to do the opposite the next game. So, um, so we went down to Charleston. Last night, so the one that's freshest in our memory, so that's why I have the most notes. Um, so we lost uh, 79-75. Uh, so got out to a really good start, uh, led 13-4 to with about 15 seconds left to or 15 minutes to go in the first half. And then really the decisive part of the game was really towards the end of the first half when Charleston went on a 17-0 run and ended up being up 13 points with about a minute left in the half. Um, so... You know, you look at the statue too on this. I mean, relatively even in a lot of areas. You know, like turnovers were 12-11. Both teams shot 49%. Um, you know, Charleston really just dominated us on offensive rebounds. But then again, second chance points really were pretty even. So it didn't hurt us too much. But uh, bench points, actually, they were up 37-14. So that was a big difference in the game. Um and then I, I just, it was one of those games too. I mean, in and out score us with second chance points, but I felt like they out hustled us in a lot of situations and that's where offensive rebounds come in. But, um, but you know, the, the, the thing I, I liked last night is, and the reason we got back into the game is we realized Coltrane Washington was on fire and we got him the ball. So I think that's one of our problems too with our consistency is we don't always recognize the guy that's got the hot hand or, you know, go into the game saying this is the guy we want to be the hot hand and feed him the ball. But you could tell I, I felt like we were really looking for him and he had the green light. So, um, you know, had a great game. I'm going to ignore the, you know, missing the, you know, had a chance to tie the game uh, with with three free throws and missed the first one because um, I just I thought he did enough to get us back into the game. But then again, free throw shooting has been a little bit of a problem here. We were seven of 12 from the line. Um, but yeah, at least give him credit. I was just happy we found something and we went to it and we stuck with it. And um, that was just nice to see. But, um, but um, you know, again, Malik had a nice game, 12 points, 10 rebounds and three steals again. Um, and then, but then, and it, maybe we'll go into this a little bit more in depth in a little bit, but, you know, um, Butler only had two points. Um, Cam finished with 13 points, but it was one for six in the first half. So again, even going back to the game when he had 27 points, which one was that? James Madison. I mean, he did nothing in the first half and had a dominant second half. So, um, I mean, that happens. But, you know, again, I, I was watching that second half and I was like, is this going to be the game that Cam just totally takes over and takes us to a win? And um, had a better second half, but it really wasn't – it didn't turn out that way. So, um, again, you know, back to 500. Can't put a couple games together in a row. And um, – here we are. So what do you guys think about last night? Yeah, I mean, I think you had it right. I mean, I think it helps when your hot hand can shoot the ball at the half court. Um, it's very hard to defend Coltrane when he's shooting, you know, 45-footers out there or whatever it was. I mean, so it, it was um, it was an impressive performance by Train. It's, it's what we've been waiting for for him or, or Matei, right? And, and it's good to, to see um, him embrace the opportunity. He'd been cold for a few games. And you let shooters shoot, right? And and uh, to the credit of the coaching staff, they rode the hot hand um, 
in this game. And it gave him opportunities to continue to do it, even after he had a few cold games. I think it's interesting. Akrus um, goes was 13 minutes, and um, yeah, obviously they played the same sort of same role in the offense and whatnot and whatnot. But we've got really two starters from the beginning of the year who've lost their job due to injury at this point, and 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 now played by the bench player. And it causes a lot of questions in my mind as far as why were these guys on the bench? If these guys hadn't been hurt, would they be playing? Are they really the more effective player? Are we just rolling with who's out there or what we see? You know, kind of, I'm sure we, listen, we don't see the practices and, and there's a lot of behind the scenes stuff that we don't know and understand. There's a lot of black box stuff going on, but it's, it's a fascinating mental exercise for me to try to figure out what's going on here and why, why these guys, um, yeah, are being so easily replaced in some ways um, and aren't getting the minutes. So I thought it actually was a game that spoke to having Butler out there. It was a hustle game. It was a rebounding game. It was a missed shots game. And and um, they, they didn't he, – he wasn't particularly effective while he was out there. He was 13 minutes. And uh, I'm looking here, he, he didn't have a rebound in 13 minutes. So that's a problem. Amari um, had a better game, but really um, looked – Poor on offense, I thought. Yeah. He continues to struggle from the line, so we got to figure out something there because this is this is the perceived strength of this team, right? Is this this five position? Let's do it. We have the five, and he went to a place where they're not. I mean, they've got some size. And smart is a six eight senior. I mean, so he's been around and he's talented. But you, you kind of expect to have an advantage in the front court here, and a pretty sizable one. And, and I don't think it really showed through. And then I think it was our fourth game in eight days. So we, we open this talking about JMU, and I'll close it talking about us. Fourth game in eight days, short turnaround flight. Um, now they had also played Charleston, had played actually a tough game at UNCW, and probably, you know, uh, had a tougher bus ride than we had a flight going home, coming back home. Mm-hmm. So I think that offsets a little bit. But um, at the end of the day, this particularly frustrates me because it came down to a close and late execution situation, and we failed to execute. Uh, I thought the final play was was Cam Winter being way too cute for twenty seconds. To be honest with you, you know, it was a three-point game, either get the quick two or, or he wanted to make the pass. He desperately wanted to make the pass and set something up for three. Um, he had eight assists in that game. He'd been doing it successfully during the game. But, you know, everybody on Charleston was guarding three. They knew it was coming. And there's 20 seconds on the clock. They weren't shooting foul shots particularly well. There was no reason to stress. Uh, I, I thought I thought we, we panicked a little early again. Um, so disappointing um, because it does feel like a team that can't quite make that step forward, make that next step. And this was an opportunity to do it. You talk about the Hoff dream was an opportunity to do it. This was another opportunity to do it. Uh, short rest road game that looks like a tight spot, tough spot. And you can come out and execute late and win it. Even if you're down 10 with a minute and a half to go. And, and um, you know, stuck their foot in the bucket again. So frustrating. Frustrating to watch from my perspective. Yeah, you know, looking here, you know, yeah, 27 million minutes for Amari Williams and 13 for Butler. And I think that. Based on Butler's health and the way Williams has been playing, that's probably a good two to one ratio. Something I like to see. I'm not sure about Okrus, about what his, his injury status is. I was kind of surprised that two to one ratio minutes for Washington versus Okrus has been going on as long as it. I mean, this is Washington's best game. There's some games he goes out there and, and does, you know, scores zero, and his defense is nothing spectacular. Uh, I think Okrus's defense has picked up in, the, in this season. So, you know, maybe it's injuries. I don't know. But I would like to see those minutes kind of even out a little bit. It doesn't matter to me who starts. It's, it's the amount of minutes that you play in the end. Yeah, Dan, and, and um, you know, you, you were talking about it, about um, 
you know, and I don't know if this is a conversation or, well, you know, you, you say, you know, games where you're looking like to take a step forward. And I was reading that Alan Boston has previewed the game and you know, he made a comment, you know, I think all they, the only hiccups they really had was losing the William and Mary. And I forget what the other game he mentioned, um, you know, I thought his spin on the team was a little bit too rosy. Like I want to be optimistic, but like, you know, even though we may not have the really kind of scary blemishes, we don't have that like really win that you just kind of say, wow, you know, here we go. You know? And then, yeah, I think, yeah, Hofstra was that chance and Charleston was that, and we didn't, we didn't get it done. So here we are 500. So yeah, it's, we're, we're fifth. In the, I mean, the good part is, and you look at the standings, I was seeing it right. We're seven and seven. So is Charleston. They're five hundred two, but they're six and six. I think mean, we have three games on William and Mary, who would be you know, basically want to avoid that playing game. So we actually have, I think, a three-game cushion on that. So actually, if we beat William and Mary on Thursday, you know, add that on there. So we're going to avoid that game. But um, I mean, you're looking for reasons to believe that we can turn it around. And um, so, well, here's all all you need to know. Drexel's played 24 games this year. Drexel's 12 and 12. Drexel's never been more than one game over 500 or one game under 500 <laughs> all season. You, you mean you could sit there with a coin, flip flip coins all day. It's 50-50. You, you just can't. That's such a mathematical anomaly. But that kind of just shows how how average this team's been this year. So, um, so, so maybe unless uh, we'll go. Any any other thoughts on the game yeah. itself? I think have. the two big games, believe it or not, are the uh, Elon and William and Mary games because those are the, t- you know, look, finish top six. Don't don't be in the bottom four. Don't don't be in the play-in. Uh, but yeah, I mean, Elon's a team that could could potentially overtake them. Or you know, William and Mary is really a long shot. But those are two games you expect to win. And you look, Elon, they beat them by twenty-eight up here. They got a big revenge factor going on there. And, and just the way this league goes, you never know what's going to come. What's going to come out on a given night? I mean, Drexel would probably be favored, but um, I'm not. I'm not counting my chickens on that game whatsoever. Yeah, I mean, I, I think we're good with the with the Charleston game at this point. But uh, to piggyback off of what you're saying, Eric, um, you have, and we've seen this. You know, it, you know it's not unusual for these teams. You, you, yeah, you come off a win, and the next game's a little harder to be. You know, you're excited, and, and, and maybe you come out a little soft in the next game, and you come out of a loss, and you come out a little angry. And, and this team especially, which kind of needs some anchor, right? Uh, we, we talk a lot, of, we've, we've spoken ad nauseum about kind of it, it resembling its coach. Um, I think it does. I think it's, it's really bringing true at this point, which is it's calm, it's collected. Um, none of these are bad things, right? This is how you grow a program, right? This is why the program's a lot better now than it was five years ago. So it's, it's not like a long-term perspective, especially in the world of transfers, where, you know, getting a kid's face means he may decide he wants to walk out the door. Um, it's not a bad thing to be calm, cool, and collected. But on game days, right, you'd like to see a little more fight, especially coming off of wins. Um, and I, I do think we're a little soft sometimes. Charleston will again, four-game and four-day spot. The, the, the two and two that we're talking about here, nobody was beating Hofstra that day. And Charleston was a tough spot game. So I don't think there's shame in either loss necessarily, but you're a better team than Charleston is. You're a better team than Charleston is, uh, talent-wise, um, and, and as far as how long they've been together and, and everything else about this. So I'm still disappointed by that game. Um, but, yeah, you do see they're better coming off of losses and worse coming off of wins. It's very clear. Um, and, and they've got to find a way to kind of get that fighting personality out there. And I, I think Nate's right. I think Malik Martin is the key here. 
I think he could be an absolute key here. Because we have a lot of gentlemen on this team, which is not a, a good problem to have, generally speaking. But, um, you know, when, you, when it comes to any time, um, I think I think that's what's leading to this kind of up and down. And, and schedule feeds into it, too. But, um, you know, it just so happens that the games are kind of laid out for most of these games we're likely to win or lose that way, too. But, yeah, it's. I think there's something to it, Eric. I think you're right. It's, it's a conversation to have, it, and, and you know, I always end up siding on it's both. But, you know, are we inconsistent because, you know, we're not as talented as we think we are, even though you know, Coltrane had 21, Malik's had 30 points in a game, Cam scored 20, 27 this week, Amari has, you know, lit people up this year. I mean, the list goes on. Um, are, are we not as talented as we think? So it's the players that are inconsistent or, you know, and I'm thinking, or is, is our coaching staff not doing as good a job of getting, you know, like you think, I guess I would just throw to see Coltrane get the ball knowing he was hitting shots. Um, and I'm looking at, I'm thinking of Charleston too at the end of the game last night. I mean, they needed scores. They needed buckets down the stretch to fend us off. So do they go to, they go to Meeks, they get a good matchup with him. They get his shot in the paint and, you know, got him the looks he needed to, to put the game away. So, I mean, ultimately it's, you probably say it's both, but I mean, is there a fault laying on one? Are we not as good as we think we are talent-wise, or do you think we could do better putting these guys in good positions? Well, what, what do we base it on? So we look at last season, the team won the tournament, went to the NCAA tournament for the first time in 25 years. Uh, also, it was a season where Drexel played just about every game on the road. So look at the record. They weren't bad. Uh, but the COVID, it, it's just hard to say. Then you try to project last season onto this season. You lose Bickerstaff, but you pick up Malik Martin. You lose Walton. Other guys are stepping up. So I think I think talent-wise, you're probably a little bit ahead of last year. But the rest of the league got better as well. So yeah, usually as fans, we will overrate our talent. That's what we do. Uh, I don't think the coaching staff's done one of them too many games, put it to you that way. I think I've seen opponents lose games, like the, the Talzin game. Um, but yeah, it, it's probably a judgment of talent. Uh, we get guys who have some really good games and they go out and do nothing the next game. I think um, something I've been thinking about a lot recently is that we have guys, a couple of guys who are really talented, but their ceilings are not as high because of the talent as we thought they were. Keep in mind, this team hasn't played strong out-of-conference schedules in, in years. You know, Spiker really has not scheduled particularly well in the out-of-conference, in my opinion. Or not, not that he's scheduled poorly, but he hasn't scheduled top teams. And... and um, I think the, the NCAA tournament exposed that a little bit. But I think Cam Winter and James Butler are guys who can run circles around people at this level. Um, but they're not, to me, I, I don't know. You guys could tell me where you rank Cam amongst our former point guards, but I, I'd probably take Franz. Um, you know, and, and I don't know that they're guys who are playing, you know, top 50 in the country basketball. JP, especially size-wise, he's limited a little bit, you know, when he's playing with the trees. We've seen that, you know, Rutgers over the past and, some other play, you know, and in the tournament last year, I think you guys who are talented for this level, but they're, they hit their ceiling a little bit, um, just based off of who they who they are, their size and their speed. I mean, nothing that about skill. They're very skilled players, um, but but they have that. So I think, and when I see guys like Amari uh, come in, or to a lesser extent, maybe an Xavier Bell, I see a guy who's capable. I mean, Amari Williams is capable of being like a guy who could bring you to that level, right? Um, in some ways, it's really, I was upset about the freshman class, but I see I'm, I see guys who come in the door who can 
you could take this program up another step. Um, don't you know? Don't take for granted what we had in JB and Cam, um, because the cover's going to be awfully bare once the senior class leaves. Um, but the guys who, who we have, I think the underclassmen right now, with the exception of the freshman class, which may or may not exist, um, you know, I think are guys who have higher ceilings. Is what I would say. So, I think talent's tricky like that. I, I think you know, it's a lot of it's opponent based. What we what we think of as talent. Um, but I, I do. I want to see. I want to see better. Um, I think they're better than they are more capable of than 500 in this league. They're defending champions. The league has gotten better. The league's got 10 good coaches, and there's pretty good odds that at least nine of them come back next year, if not all 10. So I don't have any one coach I think is going to leave. I just think that certainly at least nine will. So it's a good league that's getting better. And that's what's kind of scary. And then we're adding King Rice, who's an elite coach from Monmouth, and. and, and Stony Brook, who's been a very good team recently, so it's going to be a, a better and better league. And we, we can't, you know, Zach Sparker came in here for like three years. We we're like 250 in Kentron, 251, I think, back to back to back, or something like that. You know, we can't get here to 150, which is what we were last year, and about what we are this year. Uh, 146, I want to say, is the high this year. We bumped that two or three times. We can't get past. We get up there and then we play down a game because we do the zigzag, right? We we win a game that, you know pushes us up and then we lose the next game. So we, we just can't keep the bus through this, this 150-ish spot, which is exactly where we ended last year. We ended last season at 145. So going into the Illinois game. So you, you got to see year over year progress. We're not seeing it. You've got to, and, and with the team that is this senior laden and is the defending champion, I think that's where the frustration comes from. It's less about talent so much as this is exactly where you were this year and you've got a ton of seniors. This is your, this is your window and you're losing. And that's frustrating to watch. And I think, yeah, you, you hit on, I think we, we talked before, it's like, you know, with COVID last year, you didn't really get to see much of this team. And, you know, now we're seeing it night in and night out. And, you know, I think, you know, maybe unfair to Cam and James, you know, the hype that was surrounding them, you know, off, coming off last year, you know, like, and, and, you know, because, and like you said too, I mean, and I'm, I'm thinking about, um, you know, you, you talk about the progression of the type of player that, that Zach Spiker is bringing in, which I think has been his maybe biggest accomplishment. Um, and I'm thinking Kirkley, I finally thought of his name. So you think of him as kind of the original, and the guy found a way to score, you know, what, 30 points in a couple games. But you knew he's not a Division One body, you know. Um, but he, he tied us over, and now, you know, you take the progression. And I can't remember who was in between. Well, we've got transfers and – Guys, like you said, with the transfer era, with bad attitudes, and um, I didn't. I mean, um, is Harper right? I mean, I couldn't stand watching that guy play. Um, but now, you, and then now you bring in Cam Winter, but and but now behind him, I think Xavier Bell, you know, maybe has you know a little higher ceiling. And Odin, by the way, we even talked about he was a starter at one point, and now hardly plays. So you kind of wonder what's up there. So yeah, that's. I guess that's another challenge for the seniors now is they got guys behind them who are probably going to take us the next step. And it's kind of adjusting your eyesight to, you know, and you're like, wow, these are first team players, but you know, they're maybe the guys behind them have a better ceiling. So, um, but cause, and it, cause my other point too on that is like, you, you'd expect these guys to be your sort of consistency or kind of steadying force through your seniors. Um, but you know, now you feel like, again, maybe the expectations unfairly for them, you know, it was a little bit higher than maybe it should have been. Um, but they still have time to turn it around, and we'll see what happens here in the next couple of weeks. So, 
Can we, before we roll to the women, can I roll two quick points? Yeah, I'm um, going to make one more too, but yeah, go ahead. Okay. Yeah. yeah, so so um, Zach Spiker keeps thumping for it every time I see him. But Amari Williams is now number one in the conference in black shots, number one in defensive rebounding percentage. If this guy is a defensive player of the year, I'm going to get very upset with And also, add too, there are some defensive plays that I feel like, why isn't he going there and swatting that guy? So just, he, I mean, yeah, I, I'm, I believe me, he's, he's a hell of a player now. But again, you see there's still some a lot that he can improve on. And, and again, that, that's unfair to Butler, too, you know, because you see what Amari is capable of. But, yeah, I agree. I mean, oh, he's so. raw. He's still raw. I mean, you saw yeah. it in his offensive game against Charleston. He left he left points on the board. And he, he left some rebounds and some blocks out there. Like, one ball just go right by him, which drove me nuts on a rebound. <laughs> but, um, yeah, this is the unfinished product, and he's your defensive player of the year going away, I think. Yeah. So that's really something. Um, and, uh, yeah, I'm going to let you make your one point while well, I've – Remember what the hell it was going to be for I me? I was afraid I was going to do that to you. I'm sorry. Right. But, yeah, no, it, so it's, it's – uh, well, in the camp point, again, you know, I, and I agree with you too on he's a guy too. You just want to see get pissed off, you know what I mean? And I guess it's just not his personality. But, you know, again, I, you, know, you think of great guards. I agree with you. I And this is not a knock on him, but I, Franz, I'd take him. I'd, I'd take Bashir Mason because those are guys that I can think of games. Like Bashir, I, I want to say Villanova and Syracuse come to mind where you felt like he just took the team on his shoulders. And Cam doesn't have, I feel like, that signature game where you think of, like, you know, Cam took the team on his shoulders and won the game. I'm still waiting for that. There's time for it. But but it, as far as Butler goes, you know, I, I think I, – I don't I don't know if it's injury, you know, or like, like Eric, you said, his back. Or, you know, there's all this talk going into this season about his jump shot and how he really worked on his mid-range game. And, you know, I don't want to see that, you know, you're a big man, you know, I feel like, and he's been back in, I feel like they've gotten him to the post a couple of times the last few games. Um, and then he passes out of it, you know, like I want to see him down low. Cause then if there's a missed shot, he can get the rebound, like use his strengths. Um, so I, I, I don't know again, how much of it is injury or did we kind of, you know, kind of, you know, kind of his approach to the season wasn't quite what it should have been. I don't know. What do you guys think? Yeah. He kind of reminds me of Joel Embiid when Embiid's not healthy. What, you know, what does he do? He hangs out at the top, doesn't stay underneath, doesn't want to, doesn't want to mix it up. And you're right. I, I don't want to, he, you know, if he's wide open and he's square to the net, 15, you know, 12, 15 footer, he can hit those. But he's doing this fadeaway nonsense. Uh, and, you know, you're fading away. You're not in our area position to get a rebound because you're too far away and you're fading away. Who's getting the rebound? You got four guards out there. That's not your best use. You need to, you need to get that ball out to your, to your, Perimeter players, and you need to get into that net because that's where you make your money. I also want to go back and watch the St. Joe's game because we were sitting there, and, and I, I said to Evan during the game when we finally was like, okay, we're going to win, beat Northeastern, which I guess is right off the bat. But I, I said to Evan, I'm like, this might actually be the first game we've seen us win all year. And then Evan's like, no, 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 we won the St. Joe's game. I'm like, you're right. And you think that was the game Cam and Butler really had great games. So, and I remember we, we scored it right at the end. I think the game-winning shot was like a pass from Cam to, to James and laid it in. So, where has that gone? You know, why is – what's changed and is it injury? Or, you know, maybe he doesn't want to be in the post because he's sore and he's taking more jump shots. But just his game is totally different, and um, it's it's unfortunate. But, again, you hope it changes here in the next few weeks. So I, I think it's injury-related because that's when you're tired. You get tired easily. What do you do? You end up not playing underneath. You end up playing on the outside. It's a shorter run down the court for defense. You end up shooting more, and that's not what he's best at. Yeah. So we'll see. But um, anyway, Danny, so, where are you? Yeah, it was just I was going to run down the uh, 
conference real quick because I remember going to practice a few years ago. Zach Spiker was kind enough to, to let me go take a look. It was around this time of year, a couple weeks left in the season, and they were working on a one-three-one zone. This is one of his first two years probably here at school. They're working on one-three-one to kind of throw in a surprise at the tournament. Like this is the time of the year where they get where they're getting tuned up and they're starting to think about what they're going to deploy in the tournament. And when you look at the um, the conference right now, we're a seven-loss team. Charleston's a six-loss team. They're six and six, but they've got the hardest remaining schedule left. Um, I think we're comfortably in front of them. Uh, Elon's got eight losses. They're the next one behind them, and Elon's losing by a million to Hofstra right now, so they're about to go to nine losses. So uh, this is recording this Tuesday night. So Drexel's pretty comfortably settled into the four-five game right now, you know, unless Charleston goes crazy. Grady's comfortably settled into the 4-5 game, which is great because you, you likely avoid Towson Hofstra as the 2-3 seeds. And I say likely because Wilmington still has got a tough schedule left. Um, you want to play Wilmington if you're Drexel. You want to play Wilmington. You're going to play them. Um, and it'll be interesting because if, if you're going to host them, it could be a really tough drag and knockdown drag it out game, but you want them to get the one seed. So just one of those things that they kind of put that, tuck that away in the back of your head. Um, Alan Boston, I spoke to him a few times. He's like I said, he's very high in the conference. Uh, he's feeling a little bit better, which is great. Um, one thing he noted to me that he said has been proven over year after year after year that he said that he's seen watching college basketball over 30, 35 years. When you lose, when you when you lose at home, when you lose at home, and you're the perceived better team. When, you, when a quality team loses at home and gets gets a revenge game on the road, they tend to be very, very effective. They tend to be very, very effective, and then they go and win, the, win that road, road follow-up. Uh, this is the case at William & Mary this week. Um, so look for the men to go out there. Coming off a loss, Eric, so it's a perfect spot, right, to go out there and, and kind of throw some weight around against William & Mary on Thursday. I'll be looking for that. Well, that's Saturday, yeah. I mean, a team we blew out once, so you would expect if we don't blow them out the second time in Elon, at least beat them. So, yeah, some consistency again. Can we do something two times in a row, you know, which we haven't been done all year? So Yet another opportunity. Um, so. If Drexel, if Drexel wins the William and Mary game, uh, you know, bet the house that they lose Elon the next game. It does feel like it. Yeah. Um, I got one more note on, on University of Illinois Chicago. I don't want to go, but I'm going to leave it for the end of the podcast. With no, no, you know what I was saying? Go, go for it because I'll take that. Yeah, do it. We'll get all the men's stuff out of the way and then we'll, right. yeah, go for it. All right. Um, so, yeah, the Horizon League today voted to allow the University of Illinois Chicago athletes to play in their respective conference tournaments. This was after they had previously banned them from those conference tournaments because they're transferring out of the league this year. So you hear similar things from the America East teams that are leaving Stony Brook to the CAA, as well as, of course, James Madison from the CAA to the Sun Belt. Uh, and then there's a whole other Conference USA Sun Belt thing going on where both leagues, I believe, are scheduling Old Dominion and a couple other teams uh, scheduled for next year, which is fascinating. Um, but concentrating on UIC, and uh, it's easy to go and, and I kind of waited for, for Shane Metlin's tweet from James Madison and, and sure enough it came out uh, you know about an hour after the announcement but you know complaining about how well, GMU was still getting stiffed. Long and short answer here um, A the Verizon press release if you read it is pretty hilarious that crap all over University of Illinois Chicago's administration um, so, so clearly not happy about it but they're doing what they perceive as right by the students it's also worth noting the UA, the, the University of Illinois Chicago is not competitive in men's or women's basketball in their two flagship sports this year. So they're letting two teams that basically have no chance of winning the championship into the championship. There's no significant financial stake by the conference in doing it. I think 
the perception at the time JMU announced the departure was that JMU was, was going to compete for the league title. By the way, it doesn't look like either men or women will be, uh, would, have, would have been had they been eligible for the perception back then. So I don't believe, um, I, listen, I'm a cynic. Um, I played Wordle yesterday, but I'm a cynic. And um, I, I, I don't believe that this was the goodness of the hearts of the Horizon League. I think the Horizon League saw an opportunity to look good publicly with a very little to risk. And so they went ahead and did it. Do I hope all conferences do it? Should the CAA do it? Yeah. Yeah, that's right about the student athletes. But, you know, there's money on the line, so they're not going to. And, and we need to be realistic in this, too. Um, so that's my note there. I, I, I thought it was a good move on the horizon. I just don't expect anybody to fo- anybody else to follow it, where there's any risk at all to the, for the teams to win and take any money off the table from the rest of the league. Yeah, I, I guess I because I guess I look at it, it's like it's not our problem as far as you know playing in the tournament. So I guess I haven't really thought what I think. I I, I mean I said this before. I mean my issue with James Madison is how you know they they basically sold all their other athletes out for their football team, uh, but then also got to complain in the conference about how they were you know um, you know you know ruining their lives and losing their mental health and on and on because they couldn't play in the tournament. So they're trying to have it both ways. So that bothered yeah, me. Well, we, call, we call that the Ben Simmons defense, yeah. <laughs> uh, right? I mean, and it's 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 it is what it is. I won't call it anybody else's mental health because I won't speak towards it, but it yeah. doesn't feel right to me. Um, yeah, yeah. But I, 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 guess, I think Jerry Beach was right. Though. The one, the one, the reason why I keep pounding this, Nate, is, is because on July first, the first day of the next year, I hope the twelve presidents get together in the CAA. Jerry Beach said this last week. I hope they get together, they get in the room, and they expunge the rule because it is wrong by the student athletes. Um, uh, you know, so I hope that we, uh, as, as a media, or whatever we are, keep beating this drum until July 1st, and then those 12 presidents for the new CAA get in the room and do what's right. Yeah, I guess but the only thing I was thinking, you know, it's been kicked around. It, has this affected James Madison in men's and women's basketball? Are they not performing the way that we would? I agree with you. I see you shaking your head. I, I, I don't know that it's made – I mean, they had a, the men's team had a ton of injuries – and I mean, they don't tend to play defense to begin with. So, um, and in the women's team, and we'll see them tomorrow night for the first time. Uh, I know they had an injury um, to the there's a, a Twin Valley girl that um, I saw in high school a few times. She got hurt, so um, her name is escaping me. I feel bad. Um, so they've had some bad luck, um, but you know, I don't know that it's really affected them that much. I don't know what you guys think, but um, but yeah, so. So yeah, no, I agree. Yeah, it seems like they should still get. To, I mean, yeah, ultimately, sure, let them play. Why not? And let them. Yeah, we don't have to hear them whine. Um, but then again, you know, you see where the coaches, you know, or the, the, the conferences want to keep some stability too. So you kind of see, you know, they're into things. But um, yeah, but that's not the rule that's stopping anybody from leaving. It's just screwing the students. It's not. If you want to, if you want to stop a school from leaving, you got to make it a monetary penalty. What the SoCon this, did this year, doubling the exit fee from one million to two million dollars. That'll stop a school from leaving. Don't. Yeah, you know, that's that the, sounds reasonable. Yeah, yeah. you know, and, and these days too. I mean, they're loyal. We're talking about transfers, right? In the way, I mean, there is no loyalty anymore. So it's coaches taken off or players taken off. So, um, so yeah, but but yeah, we'll see how that plays out. So and and add to Eric, you so you pointed out too who's leaving. Our old friend from the CAA is leaving their conference too. Tell us about that quick. Who do you? Your memory too. You're older than the rest of us, so I don't blame you. But um, old Dominion, yeah, old Dominion leaving uh, Conference USA. Yeah, that's a big deal for me. I feel like you know, 
to the Sun Belt. I, think, I believe three teams are leaving. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 I, and part of it's a big deal for me, too, is to see how it plays out, these schools, not just adding team football as Old Dominion did, but then how does it work out for them, you know, as far as the conference they go into and is it working out financially? You know, and that's my thing. It's, it, you know, ultimately it's like, who cares? You know, unless you're in that top rung in the, in FBS football, it's like, it, to me, I don't see much of a difference to FCS. I'm sure there's bowls and, and that sort of thing, but it's really hard to do what Cincinnati did and get into, you know, the, the, um, the playoffs. So um, there's a ceiling there. Um, but hey, they can knock themselves out going into whatever worthless FBS conference they want, as far as I'm concerned. But um, and then sacrifice the rest of your student athletes in the process. Just the economics these days, unfortunately. So, um, but, but yeah, yeah, it's Marshall, ODU, and um, Southern Miss all leaving CUSA for the for the belt. Wow. Um, okay. You know, sure. that, that Tidewater area, you know, it's the largest market in the United States that doesn't have a professional sports franchise. So, you know, there, there's a really good, you know, if they do go BCS, I think you're going to, you know, maybe the people in that town, in that area, get, get, get behind them. Yeah, uh, 757, that's a very loyal and passionate, like a lot of Virginia Tech fans come out of that area. So, um, but yeah, I don't see any sign of Old Dominion becoming, and even Virginia Tech, I mean, they picked up. Um, the, the Penn State defensive coordinator has taken over for them. We'll see what happens. But, um, but yeah, it's interesting to watch the trajectory of these programs over the years to see whether the, the decision plays out. ODU basketball has suffered, I think we can say. I mean, I haven't heard a whipper out of them. So, um, you know. So, yeah, I, I wanted to go there and say those schools are Marshall's 2 and 10, Southern Miss is 1 and 10, ODU, ODU is 5 and 7, and CUSA this year in basketball. They're all terrible. Yeah. Um, this is what happens when you sell out for football. Yeah. This is what, and, and, the, and the, the crazy thing is, and the thing that if I was a JMU fan, I'd be cracking my boots about is what if the power five does split off in football you end up back in one double A anyway, essentially. Yeah, essentially. And yeah. you're selling out your basketball and not really going anywhere for football. I think that could really happen. And JMU could be left holding the back pretty bad here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, Hey, but whatever, you know, you know, I love college football, but I also, I'm, that's why I'm not renewing my Penn State season tickets. When you work in the, organization that pays the head coach nine million dollars and you feel like you probably have more effect on humanity than he does um it it, it hits different so um yeah, that's a different conversation so um but all right so you ready to go to the women i'm gonna talk to talk I wanna, about I actually have that conversation with you on this podcast because <laughs> i think it would be a good conversation to have but it'll be a really good honest conversation to have but let's keep, go to keep, women because keep it in mind yeah happy. Um, yeah. So, and yeah, yeah, that's a great point for the women that uh, this weekend so uh this friday night they went up to hofstra um, this was a close game uh, in, the, in uh, really through three quarters. Again, you look at the stat lines, it was pretty even. I mean, Hofstra wouldn't go away, um, but then just kind of went in two completely different directions. We finished on a 19-4 run in the last seven minutes, 20 seconds, and then Hofstra shot one for seven down the stretch. Um, so they just kind of fell apart. Um, you know, we got our usual games from, um, from Keyshawn Washington, who had uh, 21 points with 14 in the second half. By the way, she'll do that in the first half every now and then, too. Um, but she had a big second half. Um, and then uh, Hannah Nihill, the big game, um, she had 12 points in the second half, too. But, um, but yeah, so uh, actually, uh, you know, Hofstra went one for their last seven from field goals, but they were four or 14 for the fourth quarter. So that was really the difference. Um, and then, um, you know, Mara Hendrickson, too, I thought had a nice game as kind of a spark plug. She only had two threes, but then had eight rebounds. 
And those are the type of role players that if we get them to do really much of anything on top of what Brugler, Nihil, and Washington do, uh, this becomes a much better team and got us just enough three-pointers and, and made a difference for us. So um, game we, we expected to win, had to have, we took care of business, so it was good. And then game I was probably most nervous about over the weekend was going up to Northeastern and, um, you know, because they always play us tough, and including this year down at the DAC. But um, we ended up winning 61-46. I mean, it, I, I was saying this, I think I said this on the message board. It was like, it's about time we didn't get the best shot from teams. You know, Hofstra in the fourth quarter didn't play their best. Northeastern was awful in this game, and they shot terrible. Um, so I have them. It, really, we, we kind of stretched the lead out in the second quarter. They were one of 11 in the second quarter and 29% in the first half. Um, we actually weren't a whole lot better because um, we were 4-15 in the second quarter. But when, when one team can't make anything and you just make a couple baskets, that makes a big difference. Um, so, uh, you know, and, and then, um, you know, they made maybe one run in the fourth quarter, but really nothing serious to get back in the game. Um, we forced uh, seven more turnovers to them, outscored them by 14 in, in points off turnovers. Um, so then we got inside on them too, um, outscored them by 20 in the paint. Um, a, a kind of a player I think that that stood out this weekend was um, was Valentine. She had 13 rebounds on on Sunday. So um, you know, again, another player you see isn't quite polished yet, but she's she's got size which we haven't had in our program compared to some other players. And you know, we need somebody to go in there and show some toughness and get some rebounds. She's been doing that for us too, especially this weekend. So. Um, so bottom line, um, you know, it was, it was nice to have two, especially the fourth quarter, to really have a, a little bit of a, a, an easy game on Sunday uh, headed into, you know, it's a really big week. So he said, you know, James Madison on Wednesday, we get through that. Um, it's for all the marbles on Sunday, essentially down in Delaware. So um, if anybody has the opportunity to go to that game, um, strongly recommend it. I have this idea to try to get uh, Joe Biden to go and then I'll buy him uh, dinner at the Japanese restaurant in Newark, which by the way is my favorite restaurant anywhere. You know, everybody hates Delaware, but it's about the best Japanese food that, that you're going to have anywhere. Um, so looking forward to being down there on Sunday. So, um, but uh, any thoughts you guys had on the women through the weekend? Well, not really thoughts are about Japanese food. And well, I, I'm stunned by this. I, I, I've eaten down there a lot. I, I've never been there. That's, yeah, right. it's, it's called ramen kumamoto and it's it's i mean terrific ramen tonkatsu it's 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 it, and it's not like you know hibachi is like american sort of like you know um sweet and sour chicken is american chinese food um but it's legit i mean it's it's so you yeah you guys get a chance it's wonderful so i'm gonna because I, I always feel like we have a terrible eating experience or end up at iron hill whenever we're down there but um yeah not too expensive good. either you know yeah it's so sushi is too damn expensive here in the u.s too but um, but it, it, yeah, so so anyway. But but any thoughts you guys had about well, the city you know, of Newark is just endless, you know. The amount of, <laughs> amount of choices, it's unbelievable. Uh, it says on the door when you walk in, it's like number one rated. I think it says either Asian or Japanese food, and I think it's all of Delaware. And on one hand, you're like you're like, wow, that's impressive. But then again, you're like, what's the competition like? But yeah, even if three. even if it had good competition, I feel like it would win. There's a place by the DAC that we've gone to a couple times, and that's pretty good too, like the ramen shop. It's not bad. Yeah, yeah I like this spot. They're good too, but um, but this place, yeah, it's like my favorite place to eat. So we don't get down there. I was pissed when they changed the men's game to what, like, what was that? A Tuesday, Thursday night. It started at like six. You asked me if I was going. I'm like, I can't. It's it's like a six o'clock start. So and 
it was supposed to be a Saturday and we were like, yeah, we're going to go to Ramen Kumamoto before or after the game missed out, but we will definitely no snow in the forecast. So I, I think we will definitely be there. So, um, but I, I did want to touch on it. So I, to me, I think the big story um, was Denise Dillon taking the uh, Villanova Wildcats women's team into UConn. And I know, you know, UConn is, you know, they, their best player, Paige Brockers, I think I'm saying her name right. Um, she's been out for a while and then they had a player, their center in play. And then someone else was like a late scratch. So UConn was very shorthanded, but UConn's still UConn and hadn't lost a, a home or, or you know, a conference game period in like nine years, a uh, stretch of like 170 games or something like that. So um, that's, that's a tough out. Similar. You think back to when she knocked off old dominion in the CAA tournament. Um, but yeah, uh, Villanova went up there and, and won that game. Um, and then we were, we went, it's been on my list of things to do, just like eating at Ramen Kumamoto this year. Um, but to go see, you know, Denise Dillon, Coach Villanova. So we went Friday night and, you know, that game was almost as important, about more important for Villanova standings purposes because Marquette, I think, was tied with them. I think they're both like 11 and three in conference. And um, I won't go into the nitty gritty of the game, but basically it's one of those kind of a, a, a rock fight kind of game. And, you know, Marquette held like three to seven points the whole game. Couldn't put Villanova away, but Villanova couldn't go on a run. But then in the last minute, you know, out of nowhere, Villanova put some good possessions together. Marquette started to turn the ball over, forced overtime. And then Villanova just kind of pulled away in overtime. So um, so that was a huge win for Coach Dillon, too. So um, really neat. I know Dan, for sure, and well, Eric, of course, you know, we've all been around her entire coaching career in some ways. So really in the last year, we've last week, you've seen her take a step to almost the top of women's basketball. So I'm going to say what you want with UConn and shorthand and stuff, but Hey, um, wins a win. And um, so really need to see that. So I don't know if you guys, what do you guys think about what's going on over there? Well, that was her dream to go back to Villanova and uh, she's, she's kicking butt. She's, you know, she's done, don't doing Drexel proud over there. Yeah. I mean, you're not going to find a, a, a You'll find bigger fans than me because there there are some people who are um, who, who know her personally. But um, I, I tell you, I mean, she just did everything the right way here. I mean, just and she she stuck it out. She waited for the Nova job. Everybody knew she waited for the Nova job. I think there's really any question what was going to happen last off season. Um, but man, what a what a pleasure of a person! What a person who assembles a program the right way. Um, I had a great time. Uh, I think I may have mentioned this on a before podcast, and if I did apologize, but. Um, right in that three, when she got her 300 wins at, at Drexel, um, I, I got quotes from a bunch of former players and stuff. And um, the guys I got on the phone, actually accidentally, but Mike Connors and Bruiser, um, you know, hearing them talk about their relationship with her and 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 what she did and, and how special it was. Um, you know, when, when you have peers who who've known each other for that amount of time, work together in the same building for that amount of time, who who speak about you like that. It's pretty clear, you know, that this person is, is legit, not just as a person or as a basketball coach, not just as a basketball coach, but as a person. Um, so it's pretty cool to be able to root for her. And uh, as much as it pains me to pull for Nova, you know, I'm, I'm going to pull for Dee Stillen, you know, wherever she goes, because it's, um, I think she left a legacy here, to be honest with you, with Amy Mallon, with what's going on right now. Mm-hmm. I think we should still be thanking her. And, and um, yeah, I'd, I'd love to at some point get to know her better because it's just a, Dutch strikes you as a special special person. Mm-hmm. Thrilled to see what she's doing over. Yeah, I'm, go ahead, Eric. Where you yeah, yeah, they got two two quality 
I mean, the way that program's run over there between the men and the women, two of the classes coaches you'll ever meet. And, you know, they're very, very successful. Yeah. Now, the best thing she did do is left us Amy Mallon. That's, that's another reason why it, it doesn't pay me to root for her because both programs are successful. It's just neat. We're really lucky to tap into sort of that coaching tree as we went along. So, um, but uh, yeah, and as, as much as it hates, it pains me to root for Villanova. And now I'm into an immense team. They're playing Providence right now and, and that's their big game. So I may take a look at that, but, um, but yeah, I was listening to the, the men's radio broadcast, the Seton Hall game. We were driving out for the Drexel game. And I think finally at like the second media timeout in their pregame show, they mentioned the women's team and it's like, where, you know, where is that? I, I don't know. It's how I think, but I mean, where is that in your pregame show? Unless I missed it, you know, but I guess when you're that spoiled and you've won that many national titles, I mean, it still blows me away walking into the lobby there and seeing two national titles sit there. Um, but, you know, Jay Wright, get her on your podcast. I was like, there's gotta be somebody for Villanova that had her on their podcast this week. And I didn't see her name come up anywhere. So you know, Villanova guys got to get with the program and um, give her, her, her spotlight because she deserves it. And, I hope that those fans support what she's doing. It was a pretty good crowd there. Which and and one last point, um, it was it was also team autograph night. So it was another draw for you know to have my kids. They have an autograph poster of a team that that beat Villanova. And but I printed out photos and we tracked Coach Dylan down after the game. And I think that's what I said to her. I'm like, and like you got me root for Villanova. You should be proud or something like that. And yeah, I took the time, signed autographs for my kids, and um, you know, and just a class act. Um, so. Yeah, I'm did you type. wear your Drexel gear there? I did. Yeah, I wore a Drexel hoodie for sure. Kids didn't, but yeah, no, and and um, so um, but and 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 last point I want to make, by the way, um, the athletic department did make right. I thought on the promotion, um, you know, really got good communication from Jill Axel, and then um, and I hope I say her name right, Misha Kelly. Um, you know, we were standing in line on Saturday to meet the men's team, and she came up and and you know introduce herself and everything. And part of that is I, I also, I, I donate some money, not a lot of money. I guess I don't know what a lot of money is for donations. I'm not, it's I'm not going to name it Nate Hemmerly court. That's for sure. But I wanted to give some prom, positive reinforcement that, you know, when you, when you, you know, you communicate well and, you know, you, you reach out and you're, you're not defensive that that's going to keep people coming. And um, the men's autograph session went really well. Um, yeah, we got, I haven't looked at them yet, but yeah, the women's team ended up signing the photos for us. So we have those. So everybody did a nice job. And I just made the point, I want this stuff to work for us. I, I want people to be proud of, and we want Phil, you know, the Villanova, and I know it's Villanova, don't get me wrong, but we waited, I think an hour, hour and a half to meet the women's team over there, a ton of kids. Um, so it's like, I know we're never going to get that. I know, but in my wildest dreams, you know, at least maybe get, you know, a decent crowd where people know their promotion, it goes well, and then they want to come back and they want to see more games. That's what I want to see. So, yeah, so, yeah. definitely time for another podcast on that one. But I, I do know that there was also a gentleman on the uh, Dragons cast Slack channel that had an issue getting a response from the ticket office uh, this past week. And he said that one was able to get cleared up. Um, and actually, named Joe Axel as well as somebody who helped him out. So, I'm glad to hear that when they see problems, you know, or when it's addressed to them, they're, they're following up, which is good. Um, you know, that's the first step, but you know, uh, he made a mark on the, on the channel that it was good to have connections. And I was like, there's like 30 season ticket holders. In your <laughs> like if you don't feel like you have a connection, like they should make every season ticket held if you're loved. There's no reason you've got whatever it is, 12 home games. You got to touch three people a game. Mm -hmm. 
three people a game, really, to, get, to cover your whole season ticket holder base. You, you have the time. You have the time to make sure these people have love. You have the time to walk up to them and say, hey, here's some guest tickets for next week. You have some time, right, to, to go out there and, and, and build that relationship and hear what they think the problems are, whatever else, you know, and listen and respond to them and show them you're responding. Um, so I want to see a whole lot more, but it's good to hear that at least where the ship is leaking, you know, they're trying to plug the holes put that way. Um, I'm really happy you got a positive response date. Hey, but they must listen to this podcast. I mean, that's what we're here for. Hey, <laughs> well, listen, so yeah, the Villanova fans who needs to listen to this podcast is that they don't have Denise Dillon on. We are inviting her on the show. <laughs> we're gonna, I'm gonna have her, and I'm gonna have Amy Mallon, and we'll we'll, uh, we'll invite them. We'll get turned down, but we'll, we will invite them. We might not get turned down. Who knows? Yeah, and Joe. Uh, by the way, Joe, so she offered me tickets to you. They, they did everything right. I mean, we we I paid anyway. Like, no, I mean the point to this is I want to support Drexel basketball. Like I don't want to be turned off. So I'm like, now we're getting our own tickets, but. They, yeah, they did everything right. So, I, yeah, I, I, I was thrilled with how that went. And I think it all comes out. We all want to see this succeed. We all want to see this grow. You know, I was talking to um, JB, and he was like, you know, he was saying, well, Villanova has that fan base, you know, in the suburbs. And then well, maybe Temple is more the city. But um, we're not going to build anywhere if we don't have successful promotions and things like that. So, um, so nice to see it. But um, Hey, yeah, I just saw that the uh, Drexel, the coaches poll came out. Drexel women got seven votes. And they're now, yeah. I guess if you do the math, they're 32nd, according to that poll, they're 32nd in the country. And Sunday is for all the marbles. So if you have not watched a women's basketball game all year, please do it. It's um, Eric, I, I don't know, it's probably on TV. I don't know if it, I would imagine Comcast, because they picked up a couple of the Delaware games. So if, if, if for either reason, I would hope it's on TV. Um, but I mean, it, it's, it's going to be a war and it's going to be fun to watch. So what time's the uh, game on Sunday? One o'clock. It, one o'clock Sunday. It is not on TV. It is on Flow Sports. Right. The William and Mary game the following Friday will be on TV. I'm able to make that one. <laughs> have to be somewhere yeah. at four thirty, but might be. That's a, a shame because that that's going to be you know. And again, uh, you know, it's fun when we've got you know Keyshawn against Jasmine Dickey. I mean, you got it's. I mean, I'm telling you guys, this is this is fun to watch. So, um, but hey, whatever. Um, you know, let me actually yeah. let me just double check that because I want to. Uh, I was looking at our. Web page and sometimes we don't have the guests um, or the roads. It is going to be on TV. It's just not noted on our website. Okay. So on the <laughs> website, you can see it's on NBC Sports Philadelphia. Okay. Yeah. So, I figured it needs to be. And it's a it sport game. I mean, getting that one seed, you know, and avoiding Towson and, and that two. I mean, it, there's going to be, you know, whether we play Northeastern, we, we could see Charleston again. I mean, those aren't going to be walks in the park either, but, you know, to get yourself uh, out of you know a Towson matchup and this and then you know and we play them in the last game of the regular season on a Saturday. That's a big game too. But but this gives somebody the inside track to the championship. So yeah, Huge can't game. say yeah how big it is. So I mean, uh, Drexel essentially clinches if they win this thing. I mean, they'd have a two game where they'd have a game lead, game and a half league uh, with a tiebreaker mm-hmm. with not a lot of games to play. So it's it's a huge, huge, huge game. Uh, yeah, no doubt about it. So we'll see. But all right, anything else you guys want to talk about? Um, I'm hoping I'll, I'll, I'll draft. We're hoping for a surprise guest on on next next the next podcast. So look forward to that. Um, uh, we got some conversation going back and forth there. So excited to hear that. Also, um, we'll we'll bring this up in the future. But I recommend that anybody who listens to this podcast listens to February 14th. Consider this from NPR podcast. Uh, you'll recognize <laughs> a guest on that podcast, and and it's something I actually really really want to talk about. The conversation there is a great conversation for us. So uh, we'll bring that up for the future, maybe even after the season's over, but it'll come up. I have it saved on my to listen to list on the Apple app, which kind of sucks, but it is there. Um, so yes, we will. I 
keep that in mind. So there's, there's, there's one word for that interview and it's irony. <laughs> I'm excited. All right. All right. All right. Well, thank you for being here. Have a good night. Have a good night, everybody. All right.